Listen to this passage of scripture, Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. And do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. And since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, we thank you again for your word. And I know as I've been studying this passage of Scripture this morning, or this week, in preparation for this morning, Father, you have a word for us. Your word is so practical. It speaks to the issues of life and the challenges that we face as we seek to walk with you. And I pray that you would help us to do what this text says, to keep our eyes on Jesus and to fix our gaze on Him and to grow in our relationship with Him and not be caught up in all of these other things that can pull us to the right or to the left. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first of all, as we begin this morning, I want to call attention to the picture that's up there. That is not my grandson. Uh, it's an, someone else's cute little boy that's there. And Here's what I want you to do. When you see that picture as a part of the notes today, I just want you to think about the main theme today of keeping our eyes on Jesus and having that kind of childlike faith that looks to Him and trusts Him in all of the circumstances of life. All right, let's begin. A few years ago, in the fall of 2005, Al Zarad and I were, uh, were in Guatemala teaching at a pastor's conference. And we had gone down there to work with Americo Saavedra in this ministry called Apoyo. And we were there in a city doing some teaching. And while we were at that conference, it started to rain. And it rained, and it rained, and it rained. For three days it rained. And we're not talking, you know, just a little shower on and off. It was like torrential rain coming down. And what we didn't know at the beginning was that a hurricane had moved in from the Pacific side. Hurricane Stan had come ashore and decided to just sort of park there for a few days, swirling around and bringing all this water over Central America and Southern Mexico. And it did massive damage. Uh, Roads were washed out, bridges were washed out, there were mudslides, you know, it was really kind of tricky traveling after that. We had hoped to go up to visit the church that we work with in Kiakish. We wanted to see Pastor Obispo and the church there, but that wasn't going to be possible. We started up the Pan American Highway, and we literally came to spots where half the road was gone, and spots where the mud was so thick from the mudslides that they were using front-end loaders to move the mud to create a lane through, you know, that you could drive on, kind of like we move snow around in the winter. 
And so we had all we could do to get back safely. And we had a driver who was driving the van for us, you know, and so the rest of us are in there, and we're sitting and we're looking around at all of this devastation and kind of amazement at it. And our driver just has one thing on his mind, keeping his eyes on the road and avoiding the dangers on either side. And thankfully, by God's grace, we made it safely back and safely home. When I think about this passage of Scripture, I think that Paul's message to the Colossians and to us is very similar to that. His message is, keep your eyes on Jesus and avoid the dangers that are on every side. Look out for these kind of traps that people fall into. In chapter 2, he mentions four errors that come up that were afflicting the church in Colossae that also affect us as believers. And basically, Paul is saying things like, don't let the mudslide of worldly wisdom and false philosophy sweep you off the road. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Look out for that danger. In the same way, as we get into the text, he's going to talk about legalism, you know. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't get into this trap that people get into of rules and regulations and slide off the road into that. It will do you no good. Keep your eyes on Jesus all the way through. And so this morning, we are going to be looking at three of these errors. The first one, uh, Pastor Jim had talked about, out of the four, uh, he had talked about that a couple weeks ago in Colossians 2, 8, and 9, when he talked about worldly wisdom and false philosophies. Today we're going to look at the other three, and the first one on the list is this. It is the error of legalism that we find in chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. Paul writes there, Therefore do not let anyone judge you, by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. All of those things were part of the Jewish calendar and traditions and, and uh, observations that they would make throughout the year. And Paul says that these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So in other words, what Paul is saying to them is that in light of Christ's sufficiency, in light of all that Christ has done, don't let anyone judge your standing before God on the basis of whether or not you keep the Mosaic Law. I mean, don't let anyone come and say you're not a believer or you're not a Christian if you don't observe all of these Jewish traditions and practices. Now, if you were a Gentile believer in the Church of Colossae, that was good news for you. And that would be relatively easy for you to follow because all of those traditions, they weren't part of your life or your religious experience. You came to know Christ in a fresh way and it was real clear what you understood that you were to do as you focused on Jesus. But now, perhaps in the church or these false teachers coming in were saying, you have to do this and this and this. You know, you have to keep the Sabbath and the Passover and do all of these other regulations. And they were judging you accordingly if you did not do that. Now imagine if you were Jewish in background and you heard this from Paul. Think of how hard it would be for you to change or maybe to give up some of those things. Before Christ came, uh, you would have been taught to keep the Sabbath. You would have been taught to observe the Passover and all of the other festivals that were tied to the calendar throughout the year. That was part of your tradition and experience. And now Paul is saying you don't have to do that anymore. It's hard to change, isn't it? Hard to give some of those things up. And Paul is saying, you know, they were the shadow. But the reality is found in Jesus Christ. 
And because Christ has fulfilled the law and all of its requirements, you don't have to observe all of these festivals and sacrifices anymore. A change has taken place. We no longer come to God on the basis of the law. We come through Christ and our eyes are to be on Him. So don't let anyone judge your spirituality on the basis of food and drink or external rules and regulations. Now that can be hard for us as well. Some of you may have grown up in a background that had some very strict rules for you as a Christian. And those rules may have included some good things, you know, and they had rules like, we don't think it's a good idea for you to smoke or drink alcohol or things like that. There might be good things to observe. But there were also rules in there like, you know, you weren't supposed to dance or you weren't supposed to go to movies or, you know, a list went on and on of how you were to dress or what you were to do and not do. And churches and communities had their own kind of set of rules and expectations. And what happens under that kind of system is there can be some good things in there, but for children growing up under that, there are many times when children can start to think that Christianity is all about rules. Even kids in our church growing up or in other evangelical churches can begin to think that you know Christianity is just a, a bunch of do's and don'ts and it's a moral religion and that's all there is to it. If we never come into a vital, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we can miss it. Christianity isn't about rules. It's about our heart relationship with God and coming to know Him through Jesus Christ. And the reason we do or don't do certain things is because of our love for Him and our desire to grow in Christ. So there needs to be a balance here, doesn't there? There are things that we will choose to avoid as Christians. We are not to follow worldly wisdom. In 1 John 2, 15-17, the Scripture says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, or the love of the, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Now, one of the things that's interesting is when you look at a passage like that, there's not a lot of specifics there, are there? There are principles there about not loving the world or the things in the world. And it leaves it really to us as Christians then to come before the Lord and say, okay, what's included in that list? You know, if you make a rule, for example, like don't go to movies. Okay, you know, growing up for me, I heard that. Then when the Billy Graham Association started producing movies, it was a little, you know, dilemma there. Okay, movies in church are okay, but maybe other movies are not. Or what do you, what do, you do? Is it PG movies are okay, but PG-13 or R-rated or not? Or where do you draw the line? And we do need to make choices about that. And as parents, we do need to set guidelines and boundaries for our kids to help them to grow in their relationship with God and understand that the things we watch do affect us and influence us. But it's really hard to make a rule that covers everything. And what you want to have is you want to have our kids and us focus on the heart of that and not the external. You see, the problem with legalism is that it reduces the Christian life to a set of do's and don'ts and it puts the emphasis on externals and not the heart. 
Well, when you live under that kind of box that everybody's supposed to be in, what can happen is that legalism produces Christians that are judgmental of others, joyless, kind of takes all the joy out of life, can't have any fun or do those things that maybe just a little bit, you know, outside of the box. And it demands uniformity, that everybody is the same. When Jesus was here, and Jesus one time broke the rules about cleanliness by not following the ceremonial procedure for washing his hands before eating. And the Pharisees were upset by that, and even his disciples didn't understand why he did that. And here's what Jesus said. He said, are you so dull, he asked, don't you see that nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach, and then out of his body. And in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and make a man unclean. You see, Jesus was far more concerned about the heart. And the reason that we have to make choices about then these things in the world and the things that we do with our time or watch or see or observe is because they affect our heart. And the important thing then is to be making those choices that are going to help us to grow in our relationship with Christ. We've got to make a decision about are we going to watch some things on television or not or certain movies or behavior activities. Do they affect our thought life in a negative way? Are there things that cause us to have impure thoughts? Then we need to put it aside, put it away, and keep our eyes on Christ. If there are things that are causing us to be critical or judgmental or arrogant or proud about ourselves, we need to deal with the heart most of all and not worry as much about the externals. Because when the focus is on our heart and our relationship with Christ, the other things begin to take care of themselves. I think some better questions for us to ask, you know, the the answer, excuse me, I'm going to say this first, the answer to legalism is not to swing to the other side in terms of license and think that we can do whatever we please. Because God calls us to be holy as he is holy. The answer is to keep our eyes on Jesus and to make the choices that will help us to grow closer to him. And so there are questions to ask about yourself. I mean, when people look at your life, can they see the fruit of the Spirit in you and that you are growing in Christ? Do they see his love or his joy? Do they see his character in you? Do they see that honesty or uh, diligence or kindness or graciousness in your dealing with others? That's what God is looking for. How about when it comes to your gifts and talents? Are you using those gifts in a way to serve Him and serve others or just simply for yourself? Or are you sitting on your hands, in a sense, and not using them at all? Are you enjoying your fellowship with other Christians? Do you delight in being together with other believers and they encourage you in your walk with God? Or do you find yourself being critical of others? How's your thought life, your attitude? If there are things that you are watching or doing that are causing you trouble and difficulty, you need to 
turn it off or put them aside or set that behind you. And it's time to focus on Christ. The most important thing, again, are not the externals, but the heart relationship with Jesus. And we need to help our children and students understand that, that it's all about our relationship with Him. And that changes what we say and do. A second error that was affecting the church in Colossae was the error of mysticism. And it is still prevalent today. We see that in verses 18 and 19. He said, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. But he has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. In verse 18, he uses an interesting term there when he said, don't let anyone disqualify you for the prize. The word disqualify there is the same word you would use for an umpire making a call in the game, you know, saying he's out or he's out of bounds or whatever that call may be. Paul is saying, don't let these false teachers tell you that you are not a believer or that you are not right with God if you don't follow what they are saying and teaching. Because there are people out there that want to lead you astray from Christ. Don't go there. And again, when we talk about mysticism, there needs to be a balance here. On the positive side, mysticism seeks a deeper relationship with God. That's a good thing. And mysticism understands that there are things in the Christian faith that are hard to explain. There are mysteries to our faith. The Trinity is a mystery. How three can be one. How there is one God who exists in three persons. Perfect unity. All of those things. There are mysteries about that. There's a mystery with the virgin birth. How God could become a man. And how Christ today is still present. We talk about this hypostatic union of God being... He is fully man and fully God united in one person. Forever. For all of eternity. How do we explain that? There are mysteries to that. And even the way God works in our life, you know, and we heard Jeff's testimony this morning and all of us could share a testimony. How God works in bringing a person to Christ, His timing. Some of us wish it had maybe been sooner in our life, but at just the right time, God brought someone in and we came to know Him. Jesus said the work of the Holy Spirit is like the wind. You know, you don't know where it's come from or where it's going, but you see the effects of it. And so when we look at our own life, there are even mysteries of how God has worked. But on the negative side, mysticism, when pushed to its extreme, can lead people away from Christ in their search for a deeper spirituality. And that is the danger here. You know, mysticism shows up even, uh, say for example, on a show like Oprah, where she had Eckhart Tolle on who was speaking about his religious views. And you know, he was very nice and kind of condescending the way he talked about Christians and Christianity. And yeah, Jesus was a good teacher, but you know, you need more than that. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus, you know, the wisdom of all of these other religions. And basically what Eckhart Tolle was promoting there was just pantheism, kind of shaped in a new form, new package, but it's the same old pantheism. False philosophies, false teaching. Don't go there, Paul would say. 
It's not Jesus plus something. What we need is Jesus. And we need to keep our eyes on Him. And when you look at the church in Colossae, they were fascinated by angels. So are people today. There are people who, you know, get off on angels and they want to think about, you know, their guardian angel and they want to talk to angels or they have angels all over the place, you know, in their home or in their business or things like that. The focus isn't to be on angels. The focus is to be on Jesus and who He is and what He's done for us. There, we, whether they worshipped angels or not at that time is debated by the commentators, but we do know that they viewed angels as intermediaries between God and man. And there was a false humility here in their worship. I mean, they were saying things like, well, you know, as humans, we really aren't good enough to go to God directly. I mean, He's just so far above us that, you know, we have to go to these other kind of intermediaries in between. And they wanted to make Jesus just one of them. And they kind of boasted about that in that way, in a prideful way. Paul says, no. God invites us to come to Him through Jesus Christ and to go directly to Him in prayer. He tells us that there's one mediator between God and man, and it is the man Christ Jesus. And so we can come at any time with our prayer requests or our worship, our adoration. We come to God through Jesus Christ, and you don't need anyone else. Now, I don't want to unnecessarily offend here, but what I'm going to say, but some people even do that with the saints. Some people in their traditions have grown up with the idea that you'd go to a certain saint to ask them to pray for this or that or to intercede for them. We don't need to do that either. We go to God through Jesus Christ. I know that sometimes people get caught up in personal experiences. Here they base their teaching on visions and dreams and their own thoughts about what this was going to be like. And they claimed to have a special wisdom or insight. And they were proud of that. And so they wanted people to follow their teaching. And there are people like that today who come along and want people to follow just what they say. And it's not Scripture. They're claiming a special kind of insight or this is the way you need to go. We need to check everything by the Word of God. I've talked to pastors that are in more charismatic churches, pastors that are friends of mine, and they talked about some of the things that they need to deal with. For example, there are times when in charismatic circles there have been these movements, like uh, a movement where people were experiencing uh, fillings in their mouth, changing to gold, or gold dust appearing on their skin, and they'd have this kind of experience, and they'd talk about that or share that with others. And I said, well, how did that affect you in the church? And how do you deal with that? And he goes, you know, it was really hard because there are people then who start coming into church and what they're doing is they're looking at their skin. You know, they're there for a while and they're kind of, anything happened today? You know, did we get, you know, did something happen in that kind of tangible way? And he goes that even those kind of dramatic things that God can do, don't necessarily make a person a better disciple. There's still the hard work of obedience, saying no to the flesh, saying yes to Christ. You know, if you think about the impact of miracles, all you have to do is look at the Old Testament and the children that God brought out of Egypt in the Exodus. Nobody saw miracles like they did. And yet they still grumbled and complained. 
And so the focus isn't to be on signs and wonders either. The focus is to be on Jesus. And the way that we get to know Jesus is through His Word. And I think all of those kind of things that happen, you know, I mean, like occasionally on the news you'll hear somebody that sees an image of Jesus and a loaf of bread, you know, or, or on the side of a road, you know, maybe it's a billboard or an underpass, and then they come and there's kind of a shrine there or people see about a statue that was weeping and they come. I think all of that just shows how spiritually hungry people are, but it's easy to be deceived. And what we really need is Jesus. And the way that we find Him is coming to His Word. God tells us in 2 Peter that He has given us everything we need for life and godliness here in the Scriptures through His precious and magnificent promises. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's coming to God through Jesus and getting to know Him and growing in our relationship with Christ. You know, the third error that was affecting them in this passage was the error of asceticism. And that's in verses 20 to 23. Asceticism is the belief that one can reach a higher spiritual state by rigorous self-discipline and self-denial. And again, this is an area that calls for balance in the Christian life. In Colossae, their asceticism viewed the body as evil. Spirit was good, body's evil. In fact, the body's like an enemy to be punished. That's what they were saying. And it viewed holiness as denying all bodily desires or pleasures. The desire for food or drink or marriage or any physical pleasure. Nope, can't do it. Eat bread and water, keep life very simple, just do this, follow these rigid rules and discipline. In an extreme form, asceticism can devise endless means of self-abasement and even self-torture. I mean, if you think about in history, it is what drove Martin Luther to crawl up stone stairways on his knees while offering endless prayers time and time again crying out to know God, wanting to to do everything that he could do to show his piety and devotion, wanting to be right with God. Until the grace of God broke through and he understood that we come to Christ by grace through faith in his Son, Jesus Christ. And the heart changed and the eyes were opened and he began to see the Christian life in a whole new way. In an extreme form, asceticism is what drives some in the Philippines every year to want to have themselves crucified in a reenactment of Christ's death. And they go through these forms of self-mutilation or torture even to try and show their devotion to Christ. And what does Paul say in this passage in verses 20 through 23? He says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. You know, that's what they were saying. Don't do this, don't go there, don't do that. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teaching. The Scripture's not saying that, but these guys are. And he said, such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. 
but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Paul says they just don't work. You know, they just focus on the external, but if the heart is not changed, it's not going to matter. You know, you know what it's like trying to restrain fleshly indulgence or a heart that's wrong by just externals alone? It's like having a pot on the stove that's just about to boil over, and what you try to do is just hold the lid down as hard as you can. You know, just, just keep it there. All that pressure's in there boiling while you're trying to keep that. It's going to blow at some point. Far better it is to just cut the heat. Turn off the heat. Deal with the heart. That's what Jesus is saying. And how do we do that? It's when we come to Him... We surrender our life to Him even when it's dealing with addictions. We admit that we are powerless to change ourselves. God, we need You. We need You to change our heart and our attitude. There's a need for balance in this area. Sometimes we swing too far the other way because there is a place for discipline in the Christian life. 1 Timothy 4.7 says, Train yourself to be godly. Paul uses that kind of analogy like an athlete in training. Train yourself to be godly. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24-27, Paul said, run in such a way as to get the prize. Again, like an athlete in training. Run. Discipline your body. Think about what you are doing. Think about the choices that you make. When you apply that to the Christian life, prayer is work. Prayer is a spiritual discipline. To be consistent in prayer and praying for others, that's something you need to learn to do and you work at it. A daily quiet time, sometimes it's hard to get up in the morning. There's a discipline to that, but why do we do it? If it's all about the rules, like, okay, i got to have my quiet time, i got to do this, you know, you can go and it can be totally meaningless. Just drudgery. But if you go that the God of this universe who loves you and cares about you wants to meet with you, And He has a word for you today and He wants to speak to you and encourage you and you come and you come to say thank you to Him or to get to know Him better and you put the focus on the heart and the relationship. It changes the way we look at Scripture and what happens there. Giving, stewardship, tithing. I learned that early on in the Christian life and I made it a practice in my life to tithe. You know, there's a cost to that. I understand that. You know, I look at, I don't have all of the toys that some of my neighbors do in the neighborhood and things that I would enjoy because there's a cost. When you make it a practice in your life to tithe, you give up something you value for something you value even more. And God gives back in ways that go far beyond what you could even imagine. As God blesses and He multiplies or He gives in other ways. And you don't really know that until you do it. Until you step out in faith and you, you trust Him and you watch God work and how He provides and takes care of you and blesses. And it becomes a joy. A joy to give and to share with others. You see, holiness is not a matter of self-effort alone. We can't just gut this out in our flesh and think we can make ourselves holy. Yet on the other side, there's a time when we do need to discipline ourselves. We don't want to fall into the trap of asceticism that says you can't enjoy life. You can't enjoy any of God's good creation or the things that He's made. You can enjoy it. In fact, in 1 Timothy 4, 4 and 5, 
The scripture says this, that everything God created is good. And nothing's to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. The joy of marriage and a relationship with someone you love is a gift from God. The beauty of the world that he's made and being able to go on a trip and see some of those things with your family, it's a great joy. The food that he's given us to eat that tastes so delicious is a gift from him. And all of those things are meant to be received from a heart that is just grateful and takes those as blessings from God. And when we live that way, we can enjoy life to the fullest. We can be happy and holy. I like that. I want to be that, happy and holy, and grow in my relationship with Him. One of the things that I take away from a passage like this is the need for balance in the Christian life. You know what? I want to avoid legalism on the one side. I don't want to live by rules and do's and don'ts. Yet on the other side, I don't want to go to the other extreme of license and just think I can do whatever I want because I want to honor Christ with my life. And you know, I can appreciate the mystic's desire to go deeper with God, but I am not going to let anything take me away from Jesus. I want to keep my eyes on Him. And in the area of spiritual discipline, you know what? I understand I need spiritual discipline in my life to help me grow. But I never want to fall into a trap of asceticism that, again, denies the good gifts that God has given us to enjoy. I don't want to miss out on the things that God has given to us freely by His grace as His children. Man, if this life can be so beautiful... How much greater is going to be that one that is yet to come? So how do we live like that and how do we keep our balance? The answer is to keep our eyes on Jesus and avoid the pits and the snares and the traps that are on either side. It's not Jesus plus something else. It's keeping our eyes fully on Him because He is everything that we need. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word again. The power of your word, the hope and encouragement that it gives, the promise of a changed life and your grace and patience with us as we grow. And maybe as I've been talking today, you've thought of some things in your life that are struggles for you or issues. Maybe you've been critical of someone else because they didn't do a certain thing and you need to let that go. Maybe in your own life there's real freedom that you can enjoy. Maybe on the other side, you've been undisciplined spiritually, and you know what? It's time to start. It's time to make a serious effort to grow in your Christian faith and to get into a Bible study or to have a quiet time or to begin to give and do those things that are honoring to God. You know what you need to do. And I trust the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart and give that to Him today as an offering to God and say, Lord, would you help me to do this today? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.